Good morning and welcome to our online service this April 26. Our call to worship this morning comes in the form of prayer. So let's bow our heads and pray. God, we are in a liminal space, one where chaos and disorder have confused our lives yet one where we also find time to sit and receive your peace. We sit with the disciples behind our locked doors and wait in fear. And when you appear, we're given a spirit of peace only you can give. Hold us in your grace this morning, offering us the same hopeful word you offered those frightened disciples that Easter evening so many years ago. We pray this all in the name of your Son, our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our scripture passage this morning is John 20. 19 to 31. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So far our reading. Well, here we are, once again gathering in our individual homes and listening to a pre-recorded sermon. I doubt that I'm the only one who's kind of getting tired of this, who struggles to remember what day of the week it is, because every day seems the same now. It certainly doesn't feel like we just celebrated Easter two weeks ago. Easter is one of the big highlights of our Christian year, celebrating Christ's victory over death. We usually have a big celebration. Many of us have family over. We're, we're supposed to be able to look back at it now with fondness and joy. But unfortunately, Easter didn't really feel like that this year, did it? Instead, Easter was a somber occasion. One filled with a tinge of worry. Wondering when we'll be able to gather again. It definitely wasn't Easter as usual. Instead, in many ways, it actually felt similar to what Jesus' friends and family would have experienced. Instead of a chorus of people shouting, Yes, Christ is risen! They are scared and lonely people saying no. Pilate said no in his hall of judgment, hastily washing his hands. The Roman army said no with its bloody public execution. Social custom said no with its borrowed grave sealed with a huge stone rolled in front of it. The women came to the grave, but their word was a sad no, because they came only to embalm the body. Peter and John later ran back to the tomb, but that was because earlier they had gone away, given up, withdrawn, said no with their feelings. The two on Emmaus Road had said no and left town. They had hoped Jesus was the one, but they left with a disappointing no on their lips. And then, in the upper room, the rest of the group gathered, hiding out in fear and grief. Jesus was gone. They were sure they would be next. Theirs was a terrified no. Unanimously, among friend and foe alike, the word of the hour was no. I think 
we can all relate to this. Life feels like it is saying no. No to seeing our friends. No to hugging someone who desperately needs a hug. Can we go to work? No. Can we get back to life like normal? No. So many no's. Especially the ones we don't even actually hear, but we tell ourselves in our head. Right now it's really easy to feel isolated and alone. I'll be honest, while I was disappointed to not have our regular Easter service, I accepted it and moved on. Or so I thought. I realized now how much it affected me not having that great celebration to shout out yes with all of you. Feels like I missed the celebration. That I missed the party. I know it's not the case, but it feels that way for some reason. We can remember the joy of gathering together, but it does feel a bit like a memory. We are missing the enthusiasm, the swell of emotion, the elation of a sanctuary filled with worshippers. Let's go back to that upper room where all Jesus' disciples had gathered. All except one. Thomas. All the others were in the upper room when Christ stood among them. He blessed them with shalom, peace be with you. Commissioned them with his own ministry, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he equipped them with his abiding presence. When he said, receive the Holy Spirit. They really had a celebration, but Thomas missed it because he wasn't there. Nobody knows where Thomas actually was. Where do you think he was? Was he off somewhere caught up in shock and grief, wanting and needing to be alone? Was he having a cup of coffee? Had he gone to the park to sit and feed the pigeons? Or was he visiting the sick and imprisoned, maybe clothing the naked and feeding the hungry? There is no way to know where he was. We're only told where he was not. Thomas was not locked up in fear with the other disciples in the upper room. And right there is something that I think we're too quick to overlook that the other 11 disciples were locked in their room out of fear. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders, that they would be made examples of, like Jesus. Thomas wasn't there. We don't know the specifics why. We do know that it fits with Thomas's character. Not to give in to fear. Not to just go along with the crowd. 
Thomas is often called Doubting Thomas. But I don't think this is a fair assessment. Thomas was human, just like us all. We look down on him for not believing when he was told Jesus was alive. But none of the others believed till they saw Jesus. It seems a little bit unfair. We actually really don't know a lot about Thomas. Actually, we don't even know his full name. He's known by a characteristic that he was a twin. That's what Thomas means in Aramaic. So he is identified simply as the twin. Now, as a twin myself, I gotta say that one of the worst thing about being a twin is that when people use that to identify you, like that's all you are. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're the twin, right? <laughs> I still actually get a little angry just remembering all the times that happened to me. The point is, maybe I have a soft spot for Thomas being a twin also. But even so, we can still learn from him. Let's look at what we do know about the character of Thomas. Because we do know he was more than just a twin. We know when Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, all of the disciples attempted to dissuade him from going into the lion's den in Jerusalem. All except Thomas. It was Thomas who said, Let us go along with the teacher so that we may die with him. John eleven sixteen. Then, during the last meal Jesus ate with his disciples, he said that he was going away, and they knew the way to go where he was going. Well, maybe the rest of them knew the way, but Thomas didn't. And he was willing to admit it. He even admitted he didn't have any idea where Jesus was going, much less how to get there. The picture painted of Thomas is one of integrity. Thomas was one who raised tough questions, the kind that made everyone around nervous because no one knew the answers. None of them thought you ought to admit you didn't know the answers, except Thomas. Thomas seems to refuse to silence the integrity of his mind. Faith and reason would be joined for Thomas, or he would know the reason why not. He wanted it to fit together. This type of integrity is essential for emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual health. Too many people, when their faith is questioned, say, you just need to have faith, just believe, just trust. It's one of those statements that, while it has an element of truth, yes, we do all need to just trust and have faith, 
when it's used as an answer to a genuine question, it's a cop-out, pure and simple. Thomas was one who said that faith was a matter of both the heart and the head, and that's okay. Rather, it's a worse, it's a failure to integrate faith and reason. If you fail to integrate faith and reason, then you're breaching your integrity. Boris Pasternak wrote in Dr. Zivago, Your health is bound to be affected if day after day you say the opposite of what you feel. If you grovel before what you dislike and rejoice at what brings nothing but misfortune. Our nervous system isn't just a fiction. It's a part of our physical body. And our soul exists in space. And it's inside us, like the teeth in our mouth. It can't be forever violated with no consequences. It's a sad picture when a person is dishonest with himself and others by struggling to separate faith and reason. If you seek to please others by saying what you don't believe and acting a way you don't really believe in just to look good. Health is ruined physically and spiritually. Thomas was the type of guy that refused to take that path because he was a person of honesty. But he was also a person of doubt. He was a realist. His world left no room for resurrection. When a person was dead, he was dead. Everything pointed to this fact. He had seen Jesus die and he would not settle for any hearsay comments or secondhand faith. He couldn't believe without proof. In the midst of his doubt, Thomas, though, did not put down the belief of others. He didn't try to convince the other disciples they were wrong. He just said, I can't believe that without seeing it. I, he wanted to, but he, he knew he wouldn't be able to. He's like, I can't believe this story until I have first-hand experience. I need to see the scars, put my finger in those sacred hands, and, and know. No person's faith can rest on another person's experience. We benefit from knowing about the journey of others, learning by the path they take. But it can't be our path. We can learn from the differences between theirs and ours. But we can't adopt someone else's faith. People have to move beyond the faith of their parents, teachers, and friends to a faith that is theirs. Otherwise, all they have is hand-me-down religion. And hand-me-down religion won't survive the first serious crisis or test it faces. Second-hand religion has little, if any, genuine faith in it. 
because it just accepts what is handed down without question. There's no, there's no body to it. Secondhand religion like this usually crumbles under the first serious grief or first major temptation. Some people don't have much religion to lose and what some have isn't even worth keeping because it really isn't theirs. When the disciples told Thomas about the resurrection, I'm sure there was part of Thomas that wanted to say, I believe. After all, like his ten closest friends were telling this to him. They couldn't possibly be wrong, right? I'm sure Thomas wanted to say yes, but he couldn't. He couldn't say it honestly, and if anything we see about Thomas, it's his honesty, his integrity. Thomas couldn't fake it. He refused. This is what I love about Thomas. He's a man of honesty. He's a man of faith. And he's a man of doubt, all together in one. And that can be a good thing. Yet Thomas doubted. But when Jesus appeared again a week later, when Thomas was present, Thomas didn't doubt any longer. Jesus said, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe and Thomas did believe he didn't even need to actually touch Jesus like he said he did he saw him and he simply replied my Lord and my God yes Jesus then replied because you have seen me you have believed blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed well, we can't make the mistake of thinking he was criticizing Thomas here. Because he wasn't even really talking to Thomas anymore. Everyone in that room had needed to see him to believe. But now Jesus was talking to us. To the people to come who would have to believe without seeing Jesus face to face. And Jesus knew how hard that would be. That it would be harder for us because we didn't have that evidence. But he was not saying that it's wrong to ever question or doubt or that the faith that doesn't doubt is better. He was just telling us we need to believe. We need to trust even though it's hard. But we can still question. I'm going to be honest here. I really relate to Thomas a lot. I, I struggle with my faith. I am constantly questioning things, wanting explanations for why things are happening. And I find it incredibly difficult just to trust in God when I can't see the path that it's supposed to take. For a long time, I thought it meant my faith was weak. But I've learned that this isn't the case. 
just because I question, just because I want to see what God is doing, doesn't mean my faith is immature. It just means that's the way I'm wired to want to understand things. The only way that this means my faith is weak is if I let it stop me from moving forward. I've learned to embrace my doubts, to use them to strengthen my walk with God, even when I can't see Him. I continually strive to have a faith like Thomas. When he saw Christ, he was made whole. It didn't change who he was or how he worked. He still had questions. He had still been working for God in the midst of his doubt. For Thomas, seeing was not believing. He already believed seeing merely did away with his doubt. Right now, people are scared. And it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be worried. I know you've already heard this message, but I'm saying it again because we need to hear it. Because I need to hear it, to be honest. Whatever hurdles you face in your faith journey, don't let them get you down or lose hope. Don't let them change your path. Own them. This is your faith and your faith journey. Listen to the last verse of our scripture passage, verse 31. These have been written in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through your faith in him you may have life. John here is talking to us. The Bible is intended to produce in us the kind of faith that emerged from Thomas. A kind of faith that begins with honesty. Everything is on the table. Faith and reason learn to work together. No questions are dodged, no convictions silenced. If doubts arise, so be it. Walk with God with your doubts. And know that God will answer them. Maybe not the way you want, but he will. Have faith. A faith like Doubting Thomas. A faith with integrity. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you call us to be people of faith. Yet we are often people with doubt. We doubt that love can grow again in relationships where anger and bitterness reign supreme. You know the strength of love and the power of prayer. Help us to be faithful. We doubt that peace can come in the Middle East and places in the world where there's hatred and racism. 
Help us to be faithful peacemakers. We doubt that the hungry can be fed, but despair and hopelessness rules. You know that there's enough food in the world. Help us to be generous and faithful. Lord, you specialize in, in impossibilities. You walked on water. You healed the nations. You forgive sins. You set captives free. And you set us free from our captivities. This morning we pray through our doubts. Lord, we acknowledge them. We don't cast them aside and pretend they're not there. We bring them to you. Some wonder whether you exist and whether you are listening to our prayers. They wonder what this whole community is about. We pray for them. We pray for people who doubt the purpose of life, who wonder whether to end it all, who face feelings of meaningless and despair. Even when we have that sinking feeling, Give us the wisdom to turn to you. Lord, we want to believe. Help our unbelief. Remind us that doubt is not the opposite of faith. Lord, give us faith small as a mustard seed so that we can be your faithful people, believing in your power to save, believing in your power to reign supreme, Believing that we can share this good news. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. For a closing blessing, I bless you with joy. May you find moments of laughter and bliss in the midst of suffering and distress. May you cherish those times and may they sustain you. I bless you with the fruit of humility. May your humble and sacrificial actions be instrumental in preserving your community and loving your neighbors. I bless you with peace. In the face of financial hardship and uncertainty, may you all know the faithful presence of God who provides. Go in peace. Wash your hands. Love your neighbors. You are not alone. Amen.